We are in Luke 14. Luke 14. We talked about the first six verses last time. Jesus is at a a home. He's in the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath. Verse 1 of Luke 14. And it says that they were watching him closely. Jesus, as he, as he was there, a man came in who was suffering from dropsy, or we might call it edema, the, the swelling. May have been a lot, may have been a little. There's certain extents to, to dropsy. Could have been a man who was really very large based on that swelling. We don't know for sure. In any case, uh, Jesus asked, it says verse 3, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. He took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. We talked about this last week. So that's the setting right now. Let's look now at verse 7, down to verse 11. And he began speaking at a par- uh, speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than, than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's interesting that in verse 1, it says that the leaders of the Pharisees were watching Jesus closely. In verse 7, though, now it's Jesus noticing things. He's noticing how these people pick out places of honor at the table. And so he speaks a parable. And this isn't a parable in the sense we normally think of, that the parable of the soils or so forth. This is a parable more in the sense of a wise lesson that's pertinent to the situation. And in these days, when they have a banquet like this, there would be a, a table in the shape of a U, and people don't sit at chairs like they do today. They recline on couches. And so you might have a few people on this side, and then either side of the U, you have other people uh, reclining, eating with their right hand as they uh, lie on their uh, left elbow. It seems kind of uncomfortable to me, but I guess it worked for them. Plus, I'm left-handed, so it would be really awkward to eat that way. Maybe they had one side for the lefties, in some cases, if there were enough of them. And anyway, we have this situation. There's this banquet. Jesus has been invited. We have others who are there. And they're jockeying for a position to see who can get closest to the head of the table. The, we have the, the guest of honor, perhaps, in, in the center, and then the guests would kind of fan out on either side based on how important they were in society of that day. And this isn't the only time Jesus notes this sort of jockeying for a position. He does it in Matthew 23 later, speaking of scribes and Pharisees who love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogue. So whether they're at home, or somebody else's home or at church, you might say, in synagogue, they want to be up front where everybody can see them. The one commentator made an interesting observation. I was surprised only one observation, one commentator I read noticed this or mentioned it, but it's really an uh, insightful point. He says this about our passage. Our Savior had but now, in sight of these Pharisees, cured a man of a bodily dropsy. Remember, that's a, a swelling due to fluid. He is now attempting a cure of the spiritual dropsy of pride in their souls. 
So however large this man was, Jesus healed of his physical dropsy. These Pharisees had a spiritual dropsy. Their prides were so great, they inflated their souls out of proportion into a grotesque extent. They were so enlarged in their hearts. And so Jesus is trying to heal this spiritual dropsy, which is harder to do, to heal physical dropsy or spiritual dropsy? Spiritual dropsy, isn't it? Well, Jesus here, as he is addressing this spiritual dropsy, he has a negative command and a positive command in this parable of the dinner guests. Luke 4, eight. he says, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. That's a pretty straightforward meaning here. You may think you're the most important guest, but you probably aren't. Save yourself some embarrassment and and don't go to the, the front. Notice Jesus here at the end of verse 9 says, In disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. Literally, you begin to occupy the last place. And if you've been really embarrassed, and you have this sort of long, slow walk away from your embarrassment, and you feel like everybody in the world is looking at you, and, and it seems to take forever to get out of there. That's the kind of embarrassment you might have here. You're here at this feast, and you're sitting in the... We'll, we'll do it in our own setting. You're sitting in a chair at this big banquet next to the guest of honor, maybe, and you're sitting there and enjoying things, and then somebody says, Hey, buddy, you're at table 13. <laughs> Go over there. And you're sort of... And, and this is after things started, and you sort of shuffle slowly and, and, and great embarrassment and sit down. That's what Jesus is saying here. And I notice here, it's interesting, Jesus doesn't appeal to their higher selves in avoiding the highest place. If I was going to talk to my children about humility, I wouldn't say, be humble or you're going to get embarrassed by it. I would say, talk about how God wants us to act, how Jesus humbled himself, how we should consider others more important than ourselves. I'd probably take that approach, appeal to their their better natures, you might say. Jesus instead appeals to the self-preservation of their dignity. And maybe that's because Jesus knew they were so fleshly, that's the only lesson they could possibly listen to. I don't know for sure, but Jesus is saying, just for your own sake of dignity, go don't, don't go to the highest place. You're going to be embarrassed by it. So that's a negative command, don't do this. But now he has a positive command, do this. Luke 14, verse 10. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend... Move up higher, and then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. Now, this is not meant to be a sneaky way to get exalted. You might say, oh, I'm going to just... Let's all... Now, instead of jockeying for the best position, let's all head for the least position, and we'll fight for the least, so we can all be most exalted, perhaps. That's not the idea here, as a, a way to act humble so that you might be exalted in your heart. Really, the issue is the heart. And that's something that Jesus doesn't address directly right here, but does elsewhere, of course. Now, when we look at these men Jesus is talking about here, these ones who are trying to get the best seats, these are the kind of men who should have known what God thinks about pride and humility. They're supposed to be the ones who know the law the best. They're called lawyers, after all. The lawyer should know God's law. And there are many, many passages about that, and many Bible characters you can use to illustrate what happens when you have pride. But just think of a few. Psalm 138, verse 6 says, Though the Lord is exalted, 
Yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty, or the proud, he knows from afar. How about a few Proverbs? 11.2 When pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 15.25 The Lord will tear down the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. And widows in those days were about the most destitute people in society. So we have God tearing down this great house of the proud, but the boundary of the widow, the one who has almost nothing, he will preserve her her boundary. That is, she has a, her own allotment of land, and, and the Lord will establish it for her. Proverbs 16, verse 19. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. In fact, there's one passage in Proverbs that exactly matches Jesus' lesson here about going to a dinner feast. Proverbs 25, 6 and 7, Do not claim honor in the presence of the king, and do not stand in the place of great men. For it is better that it be said to you, Come up here, than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. So you'd rather have the king say, Hey, come sit next to me, than have him say, You go sit back there. So we have a negative command. Don't do this. Don't go to the head of the table. We have a positive command. Go to the, the end of the table and be exalted in that way. Jesus now moves on to the reward. The reward. And there's a reward for pride and a reward for humility. People usually think of rewards as a good thing. In this case, it's not for those who are proud. Luke 14, 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now I have a Example of this in my own life, people, you ever play those games where you say, tell me your most embarrassing moment, that kind of thing? Well, mine was when I was a freshman in high school in a freshman band, and I was a first trumpet because I was so amazingly talented at the trumpet. You wouldn't believe it. And not really. But so we had the first trumpets, the second trumpets, and the third trumpets were like in the outer darkness, right? And they were, they're kind of goofy, they didn't pay attention, they certainly weren't as talented as I was. So we're, we're in band one day. I'm not sure if it was my idea or another guy with me, but we thought it would be fun to play a trick on the third trumpets. Now, when you're, you're playing this music, you might have a break for a while. So you, you play, and then you break, and then you have an entrance in a few measures, maybe. We thought it would be funny, since we knew the third trumpets weren't paying attention, to pretend like we were ready to play for our entrance. And, but we wouldn't do it. The third trumpets would come in at the wrong time, and then that would cause chaos. So we got ready. We, we put our, our trumpets up, and we took a breath to play, but we didn't actually play. The third trumpet saw us and thought, uh-oh, we better get moving. So they got ready to play. They played. The conductor stops things and says, hey, what's going on? We thought, oh, that was really funny. We didn't notice, though, that the conductor had seen what we were doing and knew that we were playing a trick on the, the third trumpets. And so he really laid into us for what we'd done, uh, interrupting and causing disruption for the whole band, and in front of the, the whole group of people, we really were embarrassed for our our pride and our foolishness. And so that's something I really felt then, the shame of uh, this pride that had led me to be humiliated and humbled in front of people. Now, if he was going to take the lesson to its total extent, he would have moved us to the third trumpets and moved the third trumpets up, but he wasn't that foolish. <laughs> you still have to be able to play the, the, the notes. In any case, let that be a warning to you kids one of my kids thought that was a funny story. If you take from that lesson, this is a fun trick to play on your friends, that's not the lesson. The lesson is don't play that trick on your friends because you'll be humiliated, and if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. Now back to Luke 14. 
after I relive that embarrassment. Thank you. We saw something similar. Jesus kind of likes to, to, to turn things around. If you exalt yourself, you're humbled. If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. Just in the previous chapter, he says this, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. And this was also in the context of a banquet, Luke 13.30. But this is a banquet in the kingdom of God in Luke 13. That is, you think that you are first in the kingdom? Actually, you Pharisees and scribes, you'll be last in the kingdom. In fact, you won't even be in the kingdom. You'll be outside looking in. But those you think would be last, the Gentiles in particular, or the, the lowly in your society, will be in the kingdom dining with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jesus likes to take what the world sees and turn it over and see it from God's perspective. Now this quote, Jesus really I think is quoting Luke 14, 11. He's quoting another proverb, Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. And I referred earlier to Matthew 23. Let's look at that again. Matthew 23. Jesus is condemning the scribes and Pharisees for their hypocrisy. And it says in Matthew 23, verse 6, they, that is the scribes and Pharisees, love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. Basically, everywhere they go, people are bowing down to them and saying how wonderful they are. But it says, verse 11, Jesus says, but the greatest among you shall be your servants, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Sound familiar? So Jesus is giving this lesson again. In fact, back to Luke, he also says something similar, really the same thing in Luke 18. As you turn to Luke 18, this is with no collusion uh, with between Tom and me. We didn't collaborate at all, but Tom's text for today is Luke 18. In fact, he is going to be preaching on the, the, the middle portion here. And verse 14 says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Luke uses this phrase twice in Jesus' mouth in chapter 14 chapter 18. You'll be hearing two messages today, one on Luke 14, one on Luke 18. So pay attention. If you're not humbled by the message right now, just wait an hour and hopefully it will uh, take then. In Luke 14, Jesus doesn't say who is doing the humbling and exalting, but it's obvious from other places in Scripture, this isn't some impersonal karma happening. You ever hear of karma? You know, you do good things, and good things happen. If you do bad things, bad things happen. That's not what Jesus is saying here, of course. It's not just consequences sort of randomly from the universe, but it's God himself. Listen to what Mary says as she's thanking the Lord for his goodness to her. Luke 1, 51 and 52, she says that God has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. So sometimes it might be a your band conductor humbling you or exalting you, but the, the, the foundational truth is it's God who exalts you or who humbles you as appropriate based on how you behave. Listen to James 4.10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. It's God who exalts us after we humble ourselves. And then James 4.6, and here he's quoting Proverbs 3. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
I said before, this is a heart matter, really, because you might see somebody who looks humble on the outside. In fact, these Pharisees often might look humble uh, in some cases, or we might have had monks in the past who would dress really uh, poorly. They might have the roughest clothing and and, and be unkempt and, and not take care of themselves physically to show how humble they were, how lowly they were. Maybe they bow and scrape, crawl on the ground. But that doesn't affect the pride inside. Martin Luther found this, and others as well. You can humble yourselves on the outside, but it doesn't address the heart. God sees the heart, and God knows if you are truly humble or not. Listen to another proverb, 16 verse 5. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be punished. So your humble act may fool everyone else, but it doesn't fool God, and he will punish pride. Let's take a step out of Luke 14 for a few minutes and just talk about humility more generally. Think about humility, and I think I like to pair it with love. Humility and love are the grounds of Christian fellowship. The attitude towards yourself needs to be humility. The attitude towards others is love. Now, the world wants to reverse that. The world wants us to love ourselves and want everyone else to be humbled. But we want to humble ourselves and show our love to everyone else. So let's look at a few passages, a few more passages about how Christians should express their humility. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. In the middle of verse 5. This is one of those cases where we probably could use a, a verse break here, but we're stuck with the verses we have. 1 Peter 5, 5b. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James, I just quoted that earlier. James 4, 6 quotes the same proverb. Therefore, verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Now, Peter here says, all of you are to clothe yourself with humility. So you're clothing yourselves with humility. All of you, not just some of you, not just the, the ones who might be higher in society, but everyone, all Christians are to clothe themselves with humility. And this idea of clothing yourself refers to a, a slave putting on his apron. So this is something that, that you wear we might call it like wearing a t-shirt today that identifies you. Who are you? What, what do they see when they see you? We have, their other, have other verses that talk about putting on love and so forth. In this case, we clothe ourselves with humility. When somebody sees us, do they see somebody who is humble? Not Again, not a not surface only, but is that what expresses itself from a, a, a pure heart before God? Do they see that humility as though you're wearing clothes that demonstrate who who you are? As you might see a slave, again, wearing an apron, you say that person is a slave, that person is humble, that person is not a free person. And we, we see it sort of a uniform of, of Christian humility that identifies somebody as a, as a believer by their humility. And Peter here says, clothe yourselves with humility, and that idea is lowliness of mind. So it's not just an act again, it's a, it's a heart thing, it's a mind thing, it's how you think about yourself. Humility of mind, that's your clothing toward each other. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that really is frightening, isn't it? Whatever enemies we might have in this world, do you want to have God opposing you? Uh, I, I don't think so. If you do, you're very foolish. It's frightening that God might be opposing you. But 
if you think of it like this, who is the proud one opposing? If you're, somebody's proud, who are they opposing? God. So God just opposes back. So this, this puny human trying to oppose God, but God will oppose them back. Um, but we, we can't win that fight, can we? we? We don't want God to oppose us. And this is not just a lesson for the world. This is a lesson for Christians as well. We must uh, humble ourselves so God does not oppose us, but in fact, He will give grace to us. That's what we need. We need grace. We need God to to give us what we need as we are humble before Him. Peter here continues and says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time. Notice this sort of active idea. Clothe yourselves. Humble yourselves. You're doing this. You're not just waiting for this to happen, waiting for embarrassing moments, but to humble yourselves under God's hand that He may exalt you. Humble yourself or God will do it for you. I'd rather have myself be humbled by myself than have God need to do it for me in a, a disciplinary fashion. And then we wait for that exaltation at the proper time. Now this exaltation may not happen today, tomorrow, may not happen next week or next year, may need to wait till heaven to be exalted, but isn't that enough? Would you rather have all the riches of the world and have nothing in heaven, or would you rather have nothing in this world, be totally humble in this world and have everything in heaven? It's a pretty easy question to answer, but hard to live in reality, perhaps. Looking at this verse and what Peter says, I I wonder if Peter was thinking of the upper room, clothing yourself with humility. John 13, verse 14. Jesus said, If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Remember Peter's response to this? Remember Peter wrote this, First Peter. And so he's got this in his mind, I think. He saw Jesus take on the clothing of humility. He, would, he, he took off his outer garment and he was dressed like a slave to wash their feet. He was doing a slave's work, literally being clothed with it in a humble state. And he would try to wash their feet and Peter said, what did he say? Yeah, I'm not going to, no, no, Lord, I won't let you wash my feet. So he thinks, well, Jesus is too exalted to wash my feet. He can't do that. He's the Lord. And then Jesus says, if I don't wash you, Peter, you have no part with me. So then Peter says, well, wash my head and my whole body. <clears throat> and we, we won't go any further in that story. But So we see Jesus himself clothing himself with humility. And if Jesus himself can clothe himself this way, how ought we to do it as well? So one expression of our humility is to clothe ourselves with humility. Let that be what people see in us as we live in this world. Another passage we can look at, Romans 12, teaches us to be like-minded toward one another. Be like-minded toward one another. Romans 12, verse 16. Paul here says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. One Bible translates this, phrase, the same mind toward one another as have equal regard for one another. So it's not like we're trying to figure out who in the church is is more exalted than the other. Maybe have a uh, a sign on the wall. Imagine taking everybody's name in the church and who's most important, who's less important. 
That's not what we're doing. Everybody we want in the church to be in the same, of the same mind, equal regard for each other. And this passage here focuses our attitudes towards those who we might consider lower than us, either lower on the socioeconomic ladder or who are less mature in Christ, perhaps, or less gifted. Look back at verse 3 of the same chapter, Romans 12.3. Paul says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as each has allotted, or God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And Paul here in this passage is talking about how we view ourselves in relation to our spiritual gifts. Now, who had more spiritual gifts than the Apostle Paul? Nobody. Did the Apostle Paul put on airs? Did he wear a big robe and a big hat, walk around and have people kiss his ring or kiss his feet? Every time you see people doing it at the Pope, I think, what would Paul or Peter do? They wouldn't allow any of that kind of nonsense. Paul here says, you, you may have a lot of gifts, you may have a few gifts, but we need to not think uh, more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So, don't be puffed up. Have an accurate view of yourself. doesn't mean we deny a gift from God. But remember, the gift is from God, so you can't take credit for it. You didn't get a spiritual gift because you were better than anybody else, but God gifted it to you as a, as a, ga- a, a gift of grace. And so you can't take credit for it, and you should never boast about it. Look, look, boy, my sp- spiritual gift from God is so wonderful. Well, that's not something that you deserved, something that God gave you. You can't take credit for it, much less boast about it. <clears throat> Similar kind of thing in James chapter 2, talking again about being like-minded toward one another. James chapter 2. James says here, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, You sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, You stand down over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? You're judging people by the clothes they wear, by how they look, not by the state of their heart. Verse 9, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. If you treat people based on merely external appearances, then you are sinning. You're convicted by the law as a transgressor. Christ died for the lowliest Christian as much as the Christian we see as most worthy of our esteem. And if we have more money, more spiritual gifts, more intelligence, more wisdom. Who's that from? It's from God. Yeah. So when we exalt ourselves, we're not only showing contempt for those that God loves, but we're also taking credit for what God has done. So we're doubly insulting him. If Christ died for somebody and I treat them with contempt, what am I saying about this person Christ redeemed? That's really showing contempt for Christ, isn't it? If I exalt myself because of a gift that God has given to me. I'm showing contempt for Christ. I'm taking credit for that gift that isn't really mine, and God can take that away just as easily as he gave it. So we, we dare not take God's place in either uh, judging people for their external uh, abilities or by exalting ourselves for what we think belongs to us. So we clothe ourselves with humility 
We also are to be like-minded toward, toward each other. Let us have, a, have an equal view of each other. Also, we are to give preference to one another. We're in Romans 12 still. Romans 12, verse 10. Look at the last half. Paul here says, Give preference to one another in honor. So we're not to exalt ourselves, but we are to exalt others. Give preference to each other. If you have an ESV, I think it says this, Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, we don't really want to, we definitely don't want to compete to see who's the greatest, but if you must compete, compete in honoring your brothers and sisters. So, it'd be great, wouldn't it, as elders to see the congregation, we see congregations who bicker about who's, who's the greatest, but what if a congregation were trying as hardest to outdo each other in showing love and compassion and humility toward each other? That would be a, a good thing. Not, not to, to just be flattering, but really showing appreciation, respect, admiration for others and trying to show the love of Christ humbly to one another. Again, not, not to get, uh, a special star. Like if, if we had a, again, a chart, who's going to do the most good deeds? If you were a Boy Scout, do a good turn daily. Yeah. Get a merit badge. Like if, if you could maybe have, you do a good deed and you come to the pastor and have him sign your, your little book and say, okay, I've got 10 nice things I did today and we'll, we'll do a chart. Uh, and put up in front so everybody can see it. That, that's not what we're trying to do here. But we do want to have the effort, whether it's seen or unseen, to do things to encourage each other, to humbly give preference to another. So I have a list of preferences. There are some things I like, some things I don't like. It's not always my preference to do things that I know I should do, right? I may not want to do something, but I know I should do it. And that's part of being a mature Christian, is to do things that you know you ought to do but don't want to do. So we want to help those in the church give preference to each other in honor and thus show the humility of Christ in doing that. One last thing we can look at with humility, we could talk about this for a long time, but let's regard each other as more important than ourselves. And this comes to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is one of the first things I think of when I think of humility. Probably many of you do as well. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul here says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Again, we have this idea of mind. It's not just an act, but it's what your mind, your heart is doing. Humility of mind, regard each other as more important than yourselves. Consider others' needs and well-being more than our own. So clothe yourselves with humility, be like-minded toward each other, give preference to each other, and regard one another as more important than yourselves. Well, let's just spend a few moments in application here. Think about pride, and it's not a temptation just for scribes and Pharisees, is it? You might think, well, they're, they're scribes and Pharisees. Of course they're hypocrites. Of course they love this sort of exaltation. But you couldn't help but think of Mark chapter 9, so I was reflecting on humility. This is shortly after the transfiguration. They see the exaltation of Jesus. Three of them do. Mark chapter 9, 33 says this. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, that is Jesus, he began to question them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. And sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, 
If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Can you imagine you're walking with the incarnate Son of God and you have the gall, the, the pride to argue which of us disciples is the best, which is the greatest? I mean, it's, it's human. I understand it. At, at, from this remove, I can say I would never do that, but I'm sure I would. But you wonder what Jesus thinks of this sort of pride. Um, but in any case... This happens to his disciples. It can happen to us as well to exalt ourselves. We have a parallel in Matthew 18. Listen to Matthew 18, 2 to 4. And in this situation, Jesus called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When we enter the kingdom of God, when we're saved, do we do that through an act of humility or an act of pride? It's humility, right? We're saying, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. God save me. And you humbly enter God's kingdom, as it were, on your knees. If we have to be humble to enter the kingdom, how can we think we can live with pride inside the kingdom? That just doesn't fit. I get in but humbly and then walk proudly. That doesn't fit with what God is, is t- t- wanting us to do, what Christ teaches us. We enter the kingdom on our knees, as it were, and we walk in the kingdom on our knees. So we can ask ourselves, we see Jesus' words in Luke 14 elsewhere, how is our humility? Where do you see yourself at the table in the kingdom of God? Maybe you head to the least important place, but in your heart you really want the most important place. You want that exaltation. So you're only going for the the low seat to get the high seat. Now, as we evaluate ourselves and think about humility, let me mention one thing. You may have heard people say something like, humility is the one virtue where as soon as you think you have it, you lose it. Anybody heard that before? It's it's fairly common. It's it's kind of cute, kind of clever. In high school, I had a Sunday school teacher say something like this. But I had just read this passage when Paul is speaking to the elders of Ephesus. Acts 20, verse 18 and 19. When they had come to him, these are the elders of Ephesus again, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that came upon me through the plots of the Jews. So Paul here said that he served the Lord not just with some humility, but with all humility when he was in Ephesus. So if you say that you can't admit that you are humble, then Paul here is condemning himself. Saying you lose your humility when you think you have it has a superficial plausibility, doesn't it? But... If I were to walk you through a spiritual inventory, sit down with you and say, how do you measure up in certain Christian virtues? And we could talk about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. Or things like contentment. I ask, how are you doing in those areas? And you say, well, I think I did okay here, but this is where I was a little maybe short with my, my wife, or I got angry at a guy who was driving stupidly. And then we talked about humility. And I say, are you walking humbly? And you say, well, I think so. And then poof, humility is gone. Sorry, you thought you had it, but now you lost it. God gives us lists of virtues in his word that we are to pursue, and it would be unkind of him to tell us we must be something we can never understand ourselves to be. How can we measure our spiritual progress if it disappears you try to measure it? Imagine trying to measure the, the length of this, and as soon as you try to measure it, it disappears. That's how our humility could be. If we measure our humility, are we walking like Christ? Well, try and look at it. Oh, it's gone. Sorry. 
Now, obviously we can't say we're the most humble people in the world, the most humble person in church, but we should be able to honestly evaluate our behavior and our attitude and know that at least we have some humility. Maybe we're getting better and better every day, hopefully. But we want to be able to say, yes, I am humble, or no, I am not. And here's how I can improve. Well, let's, we need to wrap up here, but we could look at Paul and others as examples of humility, but Christ, of course, is the greatest example, isn't he? And we're just in Mark chapter 9. Listen to Mark 10, verses 42 to 45. Calling them, that is, the, the disciples to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Now Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just say, be, be a servant. But, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man, that is, even I, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus was not commanding us to do something that he himself hadn't done, and in a greater, perfect extent. And who is more humble than Jesus? None of us, for sure. And the classic passage on this, back to Philippians chapter 2, I, I stopped in verse 4 before, but I think you know verses 5 to 8 as well. Philippians 2. Jesus, or Paul here has just said, uh, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, both, but with humility of mind, regard each other as more important than yourselves. Verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking in the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So if you ever get to the point where you feel like you're humble enough or like you're giving enough, measure yourself against Christ. Were you God, a very God, were you who came to earth as a man who would be mocked and beaten and then nailed to a cross? Against that standard, we're not nearly humble enough, are we? We think, well, if I, I see myself as here, and it would be humbling to bring myself down this, this far, or to bring myself down this far. That's too humble for me. Think of how humble Jesus was. Think, you know, go up infinity. And Jesus came down to this earth. There's, there's no more humble thing that anyone could ever do than to take on flesh and live among men from that exalted space next to God's right hand. And so if you ever think something is too humble for you, too low for you, ask yourself, what would it be like if Jesus Christ himself thought that same way? Where would we be? We would still be in our sins. Let me just end with some words by J.C. Ryle. He says this, Do you want to know the root and spring of humility? One word describes it. The root of humility is right, knowledge. We talked before about mind, knowledge, heart. And he says this, The person who really knows himself and his own heart, who knows God and his infinite majesty and holiness, who knows Christ and the price at which he was redeemed, that person will never be a proud person. If you know your heart, you know God, you know Christ properly, you will never be a proud person. He continues, ignorance, nothing but sheer ignorance, ignorance of self, of God, and of Christ, is the real secret of pride. So if you are proud, it's because you're ignorant, and you need to study God, study Christ, 
study yourself, that is study what the Bible says about you as a, as a sinner, and that will knock down your pride. When you prayerfully and carefully study God's Word, see what it tells you about yourself, God, and Jesus Christ. And it will help you walk humbly with your God and humbly serve His people. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the example of Christ. What a great example of humility. As we see how exalted he was, he came down as a, a baby, lived among men, got his feet dirty, who, who worked with all sorts of people, who was willing to suffer and die on a cross for our sakes. How horrible it is for us to be proud of anything we've accomplished because anything good in us is from you. Anything bad in us is because of our own sin. We have nothing to be proud of. We pray that you would rid us of all pride. And it's not something we can be rid of once for all, but we must uh, day by day ask for help and, and being humbled lest we be humbled by your hand. Help us to be those who walk humbly, that we're clothed with humility, that people would see the humility in us and want to know why we are that way and want to come know our humble Savior. In whose name we pray, amen.